You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Before we begin with this message this morning, let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, for this word that you gave your servant. God, I pray that as I open my mouth, let it not be my words, but your words that come out. God, because your words have the power of life. Your words have the power of creation. God, I pray that as uh, these people sit here, that you will prepare their hearts to receive this message, God, and able to apply it to their lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. 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 Come on. Amen. So the title of my message, you're going to kind of dive into the title. The title is Return of the King. The Return of the King. And now I want you thinking, wow, it's pretty, pretty pompous. What a boastful guy. He comes back and now he calls himself the king. No, it's not about me. I did this because my mom is literally obsessed with Lord of the Rings. <laughs> She's obsessed with it. I thought it flowed nicely. But we're in our Culture Code series. In our Culture Code series, we had such a big boom with, with our bold stance that we took. And I'm so thankful that all of you guys are in church, in person, unashamed to see the word of God. And uh, we have, our boldness will always attract boldness. Boldness always attract bold people. And my father said, man, we've had this, especially with Easter uh, just a couple months ago. With Easter coming back, we just saw a big influx of people, and we want to make sure they know what Awakened Church is about. What is the culture of Awakened Church? And I was very thankful my mom had, had something happen this week, and she's like, I don't feel like preaching. Could you do it? I said, mm, let me think. Uh, I'd love to. <laughs> Pretty easy. And so, um, and, and I was just kind of thinking. I was like, man, what could I do on Culture Code? But I am literally a product of this house. I, I am literally, I grew up in this church, both in this church and also the house of my father, who's the spiritual leader. I'm, I, I grew up in this culture. And I'll let you know, man, here's what this culture taught me. Here's what this culture will teach your kids. Here's what this culture has empowered me to do as I left the house when I was of age. So we're going to dive into point number one. Point number one this morning is a culture of faith produces a fruit of blessing. A culture of faith produces a fruit of blessing. See, Psalm 23, 1 through 4 reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Wow. So that's kind of like everybody's go-to psalm when they're in a bad mood. It's like, let me just pull out Psalm 23. That's all I need. See, because King David wrote this as a reminder. He wrote this as a reminder to himself that God never leaves us, that we can go through hard times, but it doesn't mean God's abandoned us. You see, the, the biggest crutch, the biggest thing is that when we go through an, an issue or an obstacle or a tough circumstance, we immediately think God's left me. Wow. The crutch of all people saved or unsaved is that when there's a crisis, it's because God has departed, but no. David has said, even when I walk through a valley of the shadow of death, I've never been to a valley of the shadow of death, and I don't plan to. I don't plan, it doesn't sound exciting. He says, even if I go there, you are with me. You see, so often when we think we're going through a tough time, it's because God has left us, but that's not true. God is there. He's a shepherd who wants to see us succeed. He doesn't want to see us struggle, but he wants to see us use faith. And the, one of the biggest things of the cultures of awakened churches, we are a faith church. And a culture of faith will produce a fruit of blessing. You see, the, the culture code of this church, if you will, started in 2005 when my father uh, got a call from God to move. Oh, hello. Got a call from God to move from Sydney, Australia to San Diego, California, San Diego, United States. In, Sandy, in uh, Sydney, we knew people. We had friends. We had family. We had street cred. We had the ability to kind of go places, and I didn't feel so alone. And in America, we had nothing. In America, we, we didn't have any family. 
We didn't have any friends. Going to school, I knew nobody. Going to school, it was completely different. I remember uh, in Australia, Australia is a little more barbaric. I'm sure Pastor Simon will let you know. In Australia, you don't say you're going to the bathroom. You say, I need to go to the toilet. And I remember I was in third grade, and my very first time I was in school, I was like, teacher, uh, I have to go to the toilet. And everybody started laughing at me. And I was sitting there like, do you guys, is this not a thing in this country? You just, you just don't go to the bathroom. I was like, all right, this is definitely a weird place. You see, I went, from, I went from being in a culture that I understood to being in a place that was so foreign. You see, and even then, it's just, it's the little things, even the McDonald's in America. I love American McDonald's. I know what you're thinking, how you're in such good shape. I know, I know, it's, it's, a, it's a gift. See, American McDonald's, the arches are paved with gold. You got the golden arches in America. You go to Australia, an Australian large soda is an American medium. You know, and so I remember when I moved to this country, I got, my mom was like, you know, whatever you want. I was like, thank you, mom, you're the best. I swear I'm gonna always love you because you got me this McDonald's. And I remember I was then, I bought a large soda and they had free refills. In Australia, there's no such thing as free refills. You buy it once, they say, I need five more dollars. Just keep paying them. And I was like, these guys are idiots. They're giving this stuff away. What's wrong with them? But because it's America is an abundance mentality. We live in the land of abundance. That's what I love about this country. Although it's different, it didn't mean it was bad. You see, the American culture is way different than the Aussie culture. But it was so good because it taught me, it taught our family to depend on the miracles of God. The biggest thing about a culture is it will teach you to depend on the miracles of God. You see, uh, my father started this church in 2005, and it was, it was three years after he started it that my Oma, which is German for grandmother, died, his mom. Uh, she was developed Alzheimer's in 2006, and he would have phone calls with her, and he slowly just, uh, just like in any sad movie, you see, they slowly forget you. And I forget, we went to visit when I was a kid, and, and my Oma looked at my dad, and she had fear because she thought his own son, her own son was a stranger, and my dad was just broken. I mean, I can't, I could never imagine that. And, but in those moments, it would have been so easy, if I'm being honest, for him to go home. In fact, everyone said, it makes perfect sense. What are you doing here? But what I love about my dad is he said, I had a faith that God called me here. I will not leave until the mission is done. And to make it worse, that same year my grandmother died, there were horrible complications surrounding the birth of my sister Zoe. And God told my dad that Zoe would be the replacement, and yet here she has struggles. The doctor said she's going to be born with all of these horrible defects, and they told my mother you should abort her. My mother says, ain't no way, Jose. I'm not doing that. Nuh-uh, I believe in life. I believe in the sanctity of life. Thank God for my mother. But in that moment, the doctors bullied my mother, called her a selfish person. They said, you have three boys. Your second son is, is very good. He could make up for two children. I was like, that makes sense. No, but in that moment, she said, you have three sons. You're very busy. This would be selfish to bring that life in. Mom said what? But, and, and any other person, after hearing a report like that, who didn't have a culture of faith, would have said, you took my mom, you took my daughter, my pets, heads are falling off. No, just kidding, just like from a Dumb and Dumber. My pets' heads are falling off. You see, but in that moment, my dad remained faithful to the word that God gave him. And the word that God gave him was James 1.17, which reads, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. See, he would meditate on that word day and night. And the word meditate, what we think, is we think of some like bald Buddhist monk just sitting there with his legs crossed like, om. Meditation in the Bible means to mutter. 
means to constantly speak. He says God's word was not only in his heart, but it was on his tongue. Everywhere he went, he would say about how good his God is, about how great his God is, how the gift God gave him will not have any degree or uh, shadow or variation of turning from what God promised him. He had that faith. And thankfully, my sister was born a healthy miracle. Give the Lord a shout for that miracle this morning. You see, I also remember how hard it was for my father to get a church. When he moved over here, they said San Diego is a pastor's graveyard because it looks so good, but it's so impossible to get a building. I remember when he had to have all the talks late at night. He'd be up to one and two talking with contractors and government workers and, and people who he thought were his friends, and, and he'd always end up coming short. And then, and then also remember the people who said that it couldn't be done. I still remember him being with naysayers say, just give up. But I'm so thankful that my dad had built a culture of faith that he was able to silence the 10 spies who said it couldn't be done and surround himself with people who says, go, the Lord shall give you this land. God did not call you to fail. God does not call you to fail. That ain't in his playbook. You see, that's why I'm so thankful. We have more buildings right now than the Monopoly board. <laughs> We've got more buildings in a game of Monopoly, and it's not going to stop. We're going to have churches in every state, every country, every place. Whether they have Awaken on the front or they're a child of the Awaken house, the Awaken church culture shall spread. And it's because of the faith that my father saw. You see, I grew up in a culture of faith. And then I remember it being my turn. As I said, I'm a product of this house, and I remember... Uh, I was engaged to my beautiful wife at the time, and we're sitting, we're, we're in Phoenix because that's where we're going to live after we got married. It's a little cheaper, a little cheaper than San Diego, one might say, one might say. And I remember we're sitting in the service, and they're doing their miracle offering, uh, kind of our kingdom builders offering. And, and, and we're sitting there, and, and I felt really led. I felt so led to give all we had in our savings. We had just enough in our savings for a mattress because I said all a newlywed couple needs is a mattress. That's it. I'm not going to go any deeper than that. I said, as long as we have a mattress, we'll have a mattress, and then we'll die. We'll have great posture while we're dead. That's all we need. And I remember in that moment, the Holy Spirit says, he says, I want you to give all of your savings. And I said, but God, what about my mattress? He was like, I know, just give all your head. And I was thinking, I don't want to. But I said, I'm not going to take the fall. I'm going to ask my wife if she thinks it's a good idea. I love my wife, but she's expensive. She's, her, they should have named her, her middle name Louis Vuitton. I mean, that's just, that would make a lot more sense. I said, no way she's going to agree to this. And I go and I'm telling my wife, and I'm like, babe, I really feel the Holy Spirit tell me to give all, all of our money in the offering. And I love my wife. She's got these giant little Swedish eyes. And she says, if that's what you feel led to do. And I was like, that Jim Carrey moment I grabbed, I was like, do you realize what you've done? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that was our mattress money. But so we gave in faith. See, but I want to tell you is that I didn't know what was going to happen. There was no man holding a checkbook that was like, hey, you give, I'll give. No, there was none of that. But what I knew was that my God is a shepherd who wants to lead me to a green pasture. I had faith that God will not call me somewhere to fail. He's not going to call me to do something to see me and say, ha, ah, idiot, Gabriel, get a look at this. This is, this is great. He's crying. What is No. I remember we gave that money, and then literally one week later, Aubrey's grandmother called her randomly and says, I don't know why, but I feel led to furnish your entire apartment. I'm going to buy you a bed, a couch, uh, a sectional, a, a coffee table, a mattress. We got it all covered for, and I had no idea. But what I did know is I'm not going to say that I was, I was surprised, but I was also not surprised. Because I understood that what faith does, faith, a culture of faith produces a fruit of blessing. You see... Moving to this country may have been tough, but it was so beneficial to our faith in God's miracles. You see, my father says that when he was a young Christian, he believed in miracles. He says, Ash, when I first got saved, I was first in Bible college, I believed in miracles. And I was like, really? 
you guys so awesome. I was like a little kid. And then he told me, he's like, but now I don't believe. And I was like, what? He says, I don't believe in miracles. I depend on miracles. You see, what a culture of faith does, it gets you from believing God can do exceedingly abundantly above to expecting, understanding, and knowing that God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. A faith culture understands that the Bible wasn't for them. The Bible was for now. The word of God is living and active. It didn't die when, when the saints died. It died. It won't ever die. It's going to keep living because it's the word of God. See, that is what a culture of faith will do to you. You see, thank God I was brought up in a culture of faith and at led me to a place of fruitfulness later in life. See, every time life tried to get the better of me, of my family, life tried to screw us over, we responded with faith. And time and time again, faith won. Time's got an unde- or faith's got an undefeated record. You see, yes, it was hard. I'm not going to sit here and say that having faith, is, it should be your second nature. Sometimes it can be hard. Sometimes it can be scary. You see, but I know that when I had faith in me, I had no room to be afraid. You see, if you're worried about letting fear get the better of you, then just begin to try and fill it with faith. Uh, Pastor Mike, he's a brilliant man, scientist, PhD, he's incredible. He would say that the law of physics says no two uh, things can occupy the same space at the same time. If you have faith in you, then you cannot have fear in you. If you are worried about having fear inside of you, then start to fill yourself with faith. The more faith you have, the less possibility of fear you can have. It's science. I'd like to see a non-Christian even debate me on that one. It's science at this point. You see, blessing in finances, blessing in territory, blessing in your family, it all stems from faith. You see, that is why it is essential to be in church because the church is essential. I don't care what Gavin Newsom says. The church is 100% essential. If he's saying all these other places that will distract from your life, that will deteriorate your life are essential, you best believe the church is essential. It is essential to have your kids in church or your kids in youth because they are essential. Placing yourself in an environment of faith would lead you to walking into a land filled with the miracles of God. I would not be here today. I would not have the faith, or I would not be here today if I did not have my level of faith imparted to me when I was a child. Growing up in a youth ministry where I heard testimonies of my friends saying, man, I can't wait for God to show up. Hearing testimonies of my father saying, man, if it happened for him, it could happen for me too. Growing up in a culture of faith, let me walk into a land of miracles. So point number two, point number two this morning. A praise-filled culture turns defeats into victories. A praise-filled culture turns defeats. I love the worship team this morning. That worship was so good. It was great first service, second service. I couldn't even believe it. It was even better. It was amazing. And so Judah, I was having dinner with my dad last night. I love my dad. I love him a lot, actually. But he likes to sometimes flex on his Bible knowledge. (laughs) Okay, so now he likes to, you know, because I'm in the ministry, he likes to just say, you know, hey, he was in charge here. And he was telling me, he was like, what does the name Judah mean? And I was like, I know this one. I was like, Judah means praise. And he was like, okay, which tribe of Israel would walk into battle first? And I was like, okay, because you asked me what Judah means, I'm going to guess. Was it Judah? He was like, yes, why? And I was like, that's right, I don't know. And my father told me, he says, it is the praising of God that wins your battles. That is why Israel would always send Judah in first. The praise sets the uh, sets the foundation for your victory. And we see this in the Bible. See, so often we think praise is limited to song, limited to song singing, but praise is actually an attitude of your heart, an attitude of what you're going to do. Even when times are tough, I will still praise God. We see this in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 17, verses eight through 13. 
Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. I want a rod of God. That sounds pretty cool. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. What a great story. So that story can be summarized to be this one little, little bit, that your battle may be fought in the valley, but it is won in the mountaintop. You see, so oftentimes we try and rely on our own strength. We try to tough it out on our own. We've been, we've been fed this lie that in order to be successful, you have to be in isolation. But in order to be successful, you have to lock it in. Nobody can know where you fall short. Nobody can know where you need prayer. Nobody can know where you need help because then that's a sign of weakness. We've been fed this lie. What? That's literally the opposite of the gospel message. Jesus came down to earth because I'm not good enough. I'm not a Christian because I think I'm good enough. I'm a Christian because I know I'm not good enough without Jesus. That is why we're here. You see, 2 Corinthians 3, 6b, the, the last part of 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says, For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The law, the rules are designed to show us how we fall short. The commandments were given to let us know how we are not perfect. You see, it's the spirit, the power of God that overcomes and overwrites those shortcomings and gives us life through Jesus. If you wonder why you're always struggling and fighting in your valley, then what are you doing on your mountaintop? If you're wondering, why do I always feel like I'm struggling? Why do I always feel like I'm, why do I always feel like it's an uphill battle? Why can't I seem to just put this thing to bed? What are you doing when you're alone? What do you do on your drive to work? What do you do in your hardest moments? Do you lift your hands? I remember my hardest moment. I remember I was, uh, I went to Bible school, or Bible school, I did eventually. I was in business college when I was, uh, just left high school. I was in University San Diego, Torero Business School. And that's when I first met my beautiful Aubrey. And, and we were talking one day and I told her, I said, man, I was taking this accounting class today. And I was thinking, I would really hate to be an accountant, just stuck in that little cube. I was like, oh, it's so boring. And she's like, well, what are you studying? And I was like, accounting. <laughs> and she's like, well, why? And I was like, I, I don't know. And then she was like, okay, why don't you come to Bible school with me? And I said, I'll be there. You're beautiful. I'm in Bible school with you. And so <laughs> we were dating. So she was in Lakeland, Florida, Central Florida, the armpit of America, I like to call it. I like, I like being there, but man, that city hit for me. And so I remember leaving San Diego. When I was in 2005, I was eight. We had moved from Sydney to San Diego. I said, that's enough traveling. I traveled the entire world. I'm gonna stay in San Diego. But God called me out to Florida. I left my family. I left my friends. I left my street cred to go to a place I had no idea. And I remember there, uh, I, I'm, very, I'm very fortunate to have had good things here. I, I could find jobs. I could find success. I could find friends. But I went to Florida and things were just not going my way. In fact, I was with my girlfriend at the time, Aubrey, and I really didn't even think we were going to make it. We were having so much fighting in our relationship. I followed this girl to Florida only for it to fail. I'd be like the biggest idiot in the world. And I remember we were going through that, and then also I would apply for jobs. I wouldn't get calls back, or I would get a call back, and they would say I'm not the right fit. They would say you're not qualified for it, and I just couldn't even get a job. And then to top it all off, I had taken all these classes at University San Diego Business College, and they said these classes can't transfer here. Not only have you wasted money there, but you're going to have 
to spend more money here. And I just felt so alone. I felt so abandoned. I just remember that moment. I just was in this valley. I said, why am I fighting so hard? I'll never forget, it was 1 a.m. I was walking back to my dorm room, and 1 a.m. is the darkest time of night. The darkest time of night, it was also the darkest time of my life. I remember walking back to this dorm room. I remember crying out to God, saying, God, why do I feel like you've, you've called me out here to fail? Did you call me out here just so I could, just so I could lose, just so, I could, just so you could make fun of me? Like, what is, why were you so present here, and why are you not with me here? What is going on? You see, why does it feel like you've abandoned me? Why does it feel like nothing I can do can go right? And in that very moment, I remembered where I came from. I remembered what the culture code I was brought up in, and I uttered these exact words. I remember saying to God in this moment, saying, God, I don't know where you are now, and I don't know why things aren't going good. I said, but you are my God through the good times and the bad. I don't just worship you when times are going good. I worship you when times are going bad. For you are my God. You're not just the God of the good times. You're the God of my all times. You are my one only. I praised God in my valley. In my lowest moment, I remember making a declaration to praise God in that instant. And literally the next day, there was breakthrough with my girlfriend, now wife, Aubrey. And the next week, there was breakthrough with my college courses. They said they can transfer over. The week after that, there was a breakthrough on the, on the college campus job. 30-hour-a-week job as a telemarketer. It doesn't get easier. Because all I have to do is call someone. And if you're extra annoying, they hang up. And you say, that's call one. <laughs> I have enough done. So easy. You see, I want to tell you this morning that the praise you do in your valley will be the very thing that carries you to your mountaintop. We always talk about wanting a mountaintop, but are you willing to get there? Because sometimes it's going to cause you to praise even when things feel low. And point number three, the last point this morning, is a spirit-filled culture can find anyone who is lost. The key's already up. Dang, they're incredible. Point number three, a spirit-filled culture can find anyone who's lost. In Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, it deals with a parable told by Jesus called the prodigal son. I'm sure most of us have heard of it, or if not, you've heard of the phrase, a prodigal son. The scholars wrote this as the prodigal son because when, when people were first translating the Bible to English, they broke it up into sections they could memorize, and they'd give each section a title. And they called this one the prodigal son because the word prodigal means wasteful, and that this son wasted all of his inheritance on wasteful living, and he was a wasteful person, that it was called the prodigal son. But actually, the very first time this story was translated, the scholars say that it was actually called the lost brothers or the lost sons, that there were two. You see, the entire chapter of Luke 15 deals with things being lost and then found. The very first parable is the story of the little lost sheep, where the shepherd is not, he's, he's unashamed to leave the 99 to go after the one that God is so desperate to find even one person. He does not stop until it's found. He brings it back to the house and he celebrates so good that you can be lost in the world and brought home. And then the second one is this, this widow is looking for her year's wage coin and she, and she can't find it. She's, she's flipping up all the furniture. She's checking all the, the washing machine. Is it in here? Where is this coin? And she eventually finds the coin and she celebrates because something was lost in the house and now it was found. And you see the last parable is just a combination of the two before it. You see that you can be lost in the world but you can also be lost in the house. Just like how the sheep was lost in the world, the coin was lost inside the house. You see Jesus demonstrates that with the story of the two brothers. And we're going to call these brothers Jordan and Ash because this is, story is essentially my life. <clears throat> 
My older brother is named Jordan. And uh, uh, the story of the prodigal son kind of goes like this. There's this one son. He says, Dad, can I have my inheritance? He says, but I'm not dead. He says, you might as well be. Give me my money. And so he gets the money from his father. And he goes and he, he spends it all on, on booze. And he goes, buys drugs, gambling, women. He does not hesitate to try out what the world has to offer. And like with all sin, it took him further than he wanted to go and cost him more than he was willing to pay. And the prodigal son was broke. He was so broke that he, he has to begin working for the pig farmers. And one day he's so hungry that even the pig slop looks good to him. And he thinks, what happened to me? Even my father's servants are better than this. Even the slaves in my father's house, even these people who nobody knows are off better than me. And he says, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to go home. I'm going to beg my father that he will take me back as a servant. He doesn't have to take me back as a son. He doesn't have to take me back as anybody else. Just take me back in any capacity. That's better than the life I live. And the part of the story that everyone talks about and stops at is when the father sees him at a distance and he runs after him, he puts him on, and before anybody can get to him, he brings him back in authority, back in, back in honor, back in the family. Oh, praise God, what a happy ending! Except that's not where the story ends. And we're gonna pick up on the story in Luke 15, verses 25 through 32. And it reads, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, the father said, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. You see, the brother who is in the house doesn't want to see his brother get a party just for coming home. See, I remember when my brother Jordan came back from rehab, I was angry at my parents for the way they brought him in. I said, why does he get a party? He did the wrong thing. Hello? He played the game of life and he lost. He knew what he was getting himself into. He, he deserves it. He deserves whatever he gets. Why have you brought him back in and are throwing a party? Where's my party? I've been here every day. I was in the house daily, reading my Bible daily, praying daily. Where's my party? And this bitterness, it ate me alive. And I would read the story of the prodigal son. I'd read this passage and get mad because I would get upset because the brother who was in the house was made to be the villain. And that brother was me. And I didn't know how to handle it. I would say, well, maybe the older brother is just misunderstood. Maybe they would really get to know him or like him if they got to know him. I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy. But I could not read this story without feeling immense not so much guilt, and that's conviction from the Holy Spirit. And I did not know how to shake it until my father, just like the father in the parable, saw it in me and said, I don't know, or it says, I know you don't have a party, but your life has been a party. Look around and see that I've never spared anything from you. You have a nice car. You have great friends. You have a great future. And he says, and to top it all off, you don't have the years of regrets and years of anguish you have to carry with you. You see, my life was a party, but I was too lost to see it. Even though I wasn't lost in the world, I was lost in the house. 
You see, Jesus warns about the yeast of Herod and the yeast of the Pharisees in Mark 8, 15. The yeast of Herod is, is worldliness, being in the world. You, you want to just live and see what the world has to offer. Please your flesh. Do what is pleasing to you. But being lost in the world is Herod, and being lost in the Word is the Pharisees. The only difference is one L. Being lost in the scriptures that I forgot the point of the scriptures. I, I, was, I would read my Bible, but I forgot what the whole Bible was about. It's about seeing the lost come back to the church. It's about seeing the lost come back to know God. And I forgot that because I was lost. You see, I thought that sinners didn't deserve the love of God. But I had forgotten that I too was a sinner. Because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that I was in need of being saved, even though I was in church every Sunday. I was so upset at my brother for being lost in the world that I was blind to the fact that I was lost in the house. So many of us maybe carry a bitterness or carry an unforgiveness because of something that someone did to us and we think they deserve it. That we can't, we're so filled with the unforgiveness, we can't even see that we're lost inside the house. You see, it wasn't until I forgave my brother that I met my beautiful Aubrey. I remember laying in bed at 3 a.m. And the Holy Spirit would not let me sleep. He kept on saying, if your brother dies before you can make amends, you will kick yourself every day. And I was like, you're right. And so I remember I texted him at 3 a.m. saying, hey, Jordan, I forgive you for all the things that happened when we were kids. I love you so much. You're such an incredible big brother. And then he texts me the next morning. He says, thanks, I love you too. A little bit underwhelming, if I'm being honest. <laughs> A little bit underwhelming. But the unforgiveness was dealt with at the root. I had this revelation from God years ago. I was talking to him. I said, what was the point of me going through that? He said, if I was unable to forgive my brother, my own flesh and blood, then how could I give you my daughter who's not your flesh and blood? If you couldn't forgive someone you're supposed to love, how could I trust you with someone that you're not supposed to love? It was in that moment of when I finally forgave, when I finally let go, that I got to see the prosperity of God come in my life. We would be surprised as to how much the spirit of unforgiveness and bitterness seeps into other aspects of our lives. You see, forgiveness is not for the other person. Oftentimes we think it is, but it's not. It's for us. Because you can tell someone, hey, I forgive you for this. And they're like, for what? I didn't do nothing. Scram. And you're like, ah! You just get so mad. You're like, but forgiveness is for us. Forgiveness unlocks the blessing of God in our lives. You see, God can't do through you what you don't allow him to do to you. You see, you won't see the miracles of God happen with your life until you allow the miracle of God to happen in your life. My beautiful wife is the biggest miracle I ever got, and I would have never gotten her without first forgiving my brother, allowing the miracle of a forgiveness to come through me so I can see something be done to me. You see, I was so lost even though I was in the house. That's why our culture here is filled with the spirit that not only looks outside the house, but inside also. That we have a church culture that says, we know there's people outside that need saving. We know people inside these seats need the power of God. We know that just because you're in these seats, it doesn't mean you're forgotten. It doesn't mean you're abandoned. It doesn't mean they just check you off. They will not rest until we are satisfied on the inside. You see, everyone who returns to the Father is made heavenly is made priestly, is made royalty before God. It could be a prodigal son who was caught up in sin, or it could even be a son who never knew he was lost until the day he was truly found, like me. The beautiful part about our God is that when we return to the house, we return as a king or as a queen. Return to the king.
That's the title. It's pretty good. See, just like the prodigal son who wasn't brought back as a servant, but as royal family member, so too are we when we come back to God. I want to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. As I've been speaking, maybe you've been thinking to yourself, wow, that's me. I had no idea there was a God who wanted to see me in the house. And maybe you never knew this God. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe someone just invited you on him. Maybe you just end up walking in here and you think, wow, I got to know what this God is. I got to get faith in. I got to get more praise, more spirit. If that's you, you want to make your first time salvation to God, just lift up your hand on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Lift up your hand if you want to come to know the Lord. Wow, thank you up the back. I see that hand. Praise God. Praise God. Now keep your eyes closed. As I've been speaking tonight, Maybe you never, this morning, maybe you never knew that you could be lost in the house. Maybe you thought that once you were in here, you had to live with all this bitterness. You had to live with all this unforgiveness. You had to live with all this heartache. You had to live with those long moments. You had to live with thinking God had abandoned you. That's not true. If you want to make a declaration to finally find the room to forgive, to finally uh, find yourself in this lost house, to finally learn to fight these battles on a mountaintop, and you want to make that declaration this morning, then on the count of three, all you got to do is just raise your hands. It's that simple. On a one, two, three. Raise those hands. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Is there anybody else? Don't miss this opportunity. Any unforgiveness? Thank you, I see that hand. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Man, you guys can open up your eyes. Give the Lord a big shout this morning. Man, everybody, could you please stand up where you are? Stand up where you are. There was a great work done by God this morning. They're partying up in heaven. They're listening to Peaches by Justin Bieber, the clean version, but they're partying. Can I get everybody, I'm going to lead us in what I once called it the sinner's prayer. And I like that, it's classic, but I call it now with my youth kids, the prayer of redemption. Because we were sinners, but we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Everybody repeat after me, say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to find me, even though I was lost. Lord Jesus, this morning, I choose to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.